Episode 4 Princess Antoinette lived on the cliffs above Monte Carlo. I waited nervously with Kennel Club photographer Marc-Henri for Her Royal Highness to arrive. I'd never met a princess before. Her home was full of priceless pieces of Lalique crystal. Our well-rehearsed bows and curtsies were completely forgotten when the very smiley princess rushed in, carrying a tray of tea and a packet of McVitie's digestive biscuits. She was followed by very many dogs. I was recording this, my most significant interview to date. Mark was sometimes rather accident-prone. When I transcribed the tape, you could hear the clunk as he dropped his camera, followed by the sharp, regal intake of breath as it very narrowly missed one of his, one of her priceless, precious ornaments. Princess Antoinette was a huge animal lover. She changed Monaco's laws to make the principality much more pet-friendly. Landlords could no longer prevent pet owners from renting any property. All her own dogs were rescued and she encouraged local people to feed and care for the stray cats around town. Monte Carlo was probably the most pet-friendly place on the planet thanks to her. I was itching to write the story on my first day back in the office at um, the Kennel Club in London, but I received an urgent message saying a man had kept phoning for me. I phoned back, intrigued. Where did you study? Is the Kennel Club the name of your label? Which fashion designer has most inspired your work? He asked earnestly. It was the director of the new ITV daytime show this morning. I honestly couldn't even name a single fashion designer. Diplomatically, I said, I love them all. Why? You've won our Young Fashion Designer of the Year competition. You'll spend a day with a top designer and have your sketches made into clothes for you to model live on the show. I dropped the phone at this point. I couldn't think of anything more horrific. I'm only five foot two. And I thought I was hugely fat. Looking back, I only wish I was as fat now as I was back then. But I'm a dog journalist, I blurted out. The Kennel Gazette office all listened in, intrigued. I still need to know your measurements. What size are you? My colleague's jaws dropped open as blushing, I told him my dimensions. I'm coming down to London. I'll meet you tonight and we can talk about it. At lunchtime, I bought an armful of fashion magazines for research. On the way home, I bumped into an elderly Kennel Club member on the stairs. He often brought me mints from the posh lunches he frequently attended. And sometimes he asked my ultimate boss if he could borrow me to take to art galleries and talk about dogs in paintings. I told him of my strange assignation and he said he was most keen to chaperone me. 
he was concerned that TV types were not to be trusted. Charlie, my boozy editor, had always teased me that this snowy-haired old gent was actually going to have to be my new boyfriend if my social life didn't pick up soon. I greatly accepted, gratefully accepted the offer of a lift, but declined the offer of a bodyguard. I was rather surprised to find the old chap drove a very vulgar, expensive, red two-seater sports car. I scanned the swish Sloane Street bar for likely TV types and was pleasantly surprised that the only lone male was rather attractive and not that much older than me, certainly in the same half a century at least. He'd been intrigued about my mention of dog journalism and puzzled why I should be so attracted to it. Hold on, it doesn't pay well. You don't like your ultimate bosses. They don't listen to your ideas. And you can't actually have a dog. Well, when he put it like that, what was I doing? It felt rather surreal sitting off in the green room watching Richard and Judy at the Albert Docks. I'd never been in a TV studio before, yet I was going to be the live final guest of that day's ITV this morning. I'd already filmed the day with fashion desirer, designer Murray Arbeed from Hartnell. From chatting to the lovely film crew, I discovered my director was a bit of a lech. And he had a reputation for dating a guest, different guest on the show each week. I decided to level with him that I had no ambition to be either a fashion designer or his temporary girlfriend. But I was rather intrigued by television and how it all worked. We struck a deal and he said if I would pretend to want to be a fashion designer, and didn't mention dogs, I could sort of present the short film we were going to make at the fashion designers, rather than be featured working, with little air quotes, alongside him. My other condition for going along with this fiction was that a model should wear my designs live on the show rather than me. I was actually surprised how much I enjoyed doing the interviewing on camera. And as I knew nothing at all about fashion, I had very many questions for Murray. He probably had a few himself, possibly never verbalised. This was sadly the era I had a curly perm and a wardrobe full of Laura Ashley. He showed me the mannequins he had made for Diana and the Queen Mother. They were perfect recreations of their bodies, so he could tailor them dresses exactly to fit without them having to be there. The day of the live show arrived, and I found myself next to the main guest, health and beauty guru, Leslie Kenton. This blonde American beauty was incredibly friendly and quickly worked out that I wasn't really an aspiring fashion designer. Turns out she thought working with dogs was so much cooler. Well, 
she did have bearded collies herself. What are the chances of that happening? Leslie was a pioneer of raw energy for people and she had tried to transfer these ideas to her dogs, Sunshine and Moonbeam. It was like she was from the future. She said, I must meet her lovely vet, John Burns. He was trying to invent a new dog food. The director was most surprised that I had so very quickly bonded with the famous beauty and fashion expert and hissed at me, no mention of dogs, as my microphone was threaded up the back of my far from couture attire. I was ushered into my seat on set and watched the monitor to see my interview with Murray. Unfortunately, most of my in-depth questioning had hit the cutting room floor. But the toe curling, do you have to be a good drawer to be a fashion designer? Well, that had survived. The clothes I had drawn had been made for exactly my size. So the trousers were very short, but baggy on the model. But I argued, I was predicting a new trend. Everyone would be wearing their trousers like that in the future. Richard and Judy, as was their style, decided to totally ignore the auto cue and make up their own questions. Yes, you've guessed it. Richard asked me about my work. How they laughed when I said I was a dog journalist at the Kennel Club. The director was furious. Thankfully, my crowning as this morning's Young Fashion Designer of the Year was not seen by many people at the Kennel Club. But I was quick to interview my new best friend, American health and beauty expert, beardy fan Leslie Kenton. She lived in a gorgeous little village in Wales, and it meant another overnight stay for me and kennel club photographer, Mark Henri. Luckily, Mark took very many beautiful photos as I wrote thousands of words for the Kennel Gazette about Leslie's thoughts on dog food, probiotics, and the new wave of autoimmune diseases that were still only being whispered about. And true to her word, Leslie introduced me to her fascinating, fascinating Scottish vet, John Burns, who told me about the food he was planning to make. As we left, in the car, Mark commented, commented what a remarkably energetic woman. It was a beep then, wasn't there? I wonder what that was. Eight husbands. I hadn't gleaned any of this from my extensive interview. His source was her gardener. I decided not to include it, but began to worry about my interview technique. There were other memorable Kennel Club field trips with Mark. When we met the lovely Jilly Cooper, we almost moved in, staying for both lunch and dinner. Mark scooped me again with the young Lord Beaverbrook. Such a shame about his hand, he said on the way home. 
Of course, I hadn't noticed anything missing. I'm going to have to stop it making that funny noise. I hadn't noticed anything missing. And as his arm was just out of shot in every one of Mark's photos, I'm still not sure if Mark was just winding me up. And then there was the trip to Sheffield to interview the blind MP, David Blunkett. It was a very long journey and Mark was eager to get his photos done and head home. So he decided to take photos while I was interviewing David. Of course, David had no visual clues to warn him that Mark was placing a light monitor almost on his nose. But he could definitely sense his presence. And when Mark backed up suddenly into the coat stand, David did visibly jump. We were both rather relieved when Mark was satisfied that he had all his pictures and sat down. That was until he started to snore very loudly. But these glorious days out didn't stop my growing feelings of utter pointlessness. I wasn't changing anything at the kennel club. My reports were gathering dust in Dr Death's filing cabinet. I wasn't making things any better for dogs. And I wasn't earning much, so I couldn't bring Sally to live with me. Dogs weren't even allowed in Clarges Street, and I couldn't afford a dog sitter on my kennel club salary. Sally was getting older, and so was I. It was time to get on with our lives.